Hey, welcome to Four Corners. My name is Ben. I'm so glad you're here for our 10th anniversary. Hey, we're beginning this message series called Unshakable, Standing Strong When Things Go Wrong. And like Pastor Greg told you, we're going to talk a little bit today about family. We're going to talk about, well, a little bit about what we saw in that video right there, even though it's a little exaggerated. Most of you are thinking, man, I'm glad I don't come from a family like that. But if you take away some of the exaggeration that was used to be humorous, I bet all of us have moments in our families when things weren't great. You know, families are, are, are an interesting thing. The Bible speaks a lot about families. We all can relate to the challenges of families, the hope of families, the love that's in families, the difficulty that's in family, and the emotions that are involved in families. So this being the unshakable message series, what I want to do is I want to give you a few things to think about today. We're going to go to God's Word, and I want you to think about your family. I don't know everything about the background of your family. Some of you I know a little bit. Some of you I don't know anything at all. But here's what I know today. That no matter what your family background has been up to this point, that you can make decisions today to begin to literally change the environment, the dynamic, the relationships in your family. Before we get into some of the practical things from God's Word on what God, who originally designed family, remember it was, it was his idea. Before he began this great idea called the church, he first started the family. Before he did much of anything else, he created the world. And then the next thing he did was family. We can then go to this grand designer, the guy whose idea all of this was anyway, and discover from him wisdom about the life he meant for all of us. But before all that, I want to take you to an interesting place in your New Testament in Matthew chapter 7. And it's Jesus talking to his followers. Jesus is talking to his followers and he shares with them a parable. Now, many of you know what a parable is. Some of you don't. Let me catch you up. But a parable is simply a story Jesus told that had profound truth wrapped up in the middle of the story. Often when Jesus would give a message or a teaching, he would use stories to illustrate the point he was trying to make. And this story will become the foundational story for our entire message series for the next five weeks, this one being week one of five, all right? So in Matthew chapter 7, if you have a Bible, you're welcome to go there. If you didn't bring one with you today, on the side screens, you can follow along. Here's what the Bible says. Jesus speaking, he says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rains come in torrents and the flood waters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. He was telling the story in comparing between two types of builders. People who built, in this set of verses, on a rock. And when the foundation of the house is solid It can weather, it can withstand all kinds of storms, difficulties and challenges, and the house is still intact. The other side, verses right around these we just didn't take time to read, he talks about another builder who also builds a house. Same building, a house, same motivation of the person who builds it. They want their house to last and be secure, but in this story there's a primary difference. This builder builds his house not upon a rock, but upon the sand. And when he builds his house upon the sand, the dynamic that happens in everybody's life happens to the guy on the rock, happens to the guy on the sand, and it's the dynamic of the storm. Storms always come. Storms always come in life. And the one who built on the rock, we read, his house stands because 
He was wise enough to anticipate that storms always come. They always do. It's going to rain. Winds are going to blow. Floodwaters are going to rise. That always happens. There was a wise builder who built on a rock, and when that happened, he was fine. And the one who built on the sand was foolish, not thoughtful, didn't put the effort in mentally, didn't anticipate what would happen, didn't make decisions today knowing that tomorrow was likely to be different. And when the winds blew and the rains came and the floodwaters rose, his house fell flat. So what we're going to do is we're going to stop for a few moments and take a flashlight into this dark domain called family dynamics and we're going to investigate some of what God's word has to say about family. Now for some of us today as we do this, you're going to hear me describe God's ideal and you're going to sit here and you're going to think I'm an incredibly blessed person. Because while my family wasn't perfect, there's a lot that we're talking about you can relate to. And some of you, it's going to be a little painful. Because the truth is, is that your family was anything but ideal. And fell far short of what, from what God really originally meant for families to be. Here's the good news. That no matter what your background has been up to this point, you can make decisions today to align yourself with God's original plan for family. And that decision you make today is like the decision of the wise builder who made a decision the day he was building his house, the days he was building his house to build on a rock knowing that tough times are going to come. And that decision made all the difference for him. And we're in that exact same situation. I want to talk to you about God's original purpose for family. God had a, had a purpose for family. There's a lot of ways we can talk about this. I have just two primary ones, and then we're going to talk about some practical things, all right? God had a purpose for family. Here's the first purpose that God had for our families. He meant for our families to be a shelter from life's storms. Like the parable we read from Jesus' words in the New Testament, that storms came to both the wise and the foolish builder. Storms are going to come to our lives. Here's the truth about all of us right now. Some of you right now are in the middle of a storm. It's an emotional storm. It's a relational storm or a financial storm or a physical related to your health storm or possibly like a, a spiritually dry spell. Storms come in all of our lives. Can't get away from them. Some of you are there right now. Some of you have come out of it and you're, you're largely fine. Some of you, you don't know it yet. Here's the bad news. You're about to go into one. But no matter where you are in relation to storms, the good news is, is that God has given us this gift called family that is meant to, in some ways, be a shelter from the storms of life. But in order for that to happen, there has to be a certain amount of intentionality, a certain amount of alignment with what God meant for family to be if we can expect our families to truly be a shelter in life's storms. It's supposed to be that safe place that you can in many ways run to and get the shelter. Or, or if not run to and get shelter and kind of hide, you can at least get support and encouragement in the middle of the storms of life. So God meant for our families to be like that. But let's just be honest for a moment in this room. We really value truth around here. For some of us, our families are the very storms in our lives. It's just the, just the truth of it. And in fact, even in the best of families, there's difficulty. And here's why. It's very simple. Simple reason why. Because there are individual people 
who have their own ideas and agenda and will and personality and experience and history and hopes and dreams, ways of relating, and you bring these individuals together in a room, you put them there long enough, over time there's going to be some conflict. I mean, we can give everybody the benefit of the doubt for having the best motivations in the world. Eventually, just because we're individuals, there's going to be difficulty. And then you start laying on other challenges like different value systems. That'll generate some conflict. Add in a little pressure around things like calendar management time. We got a lot to do and a little time to get it done. That's a little bit of a pressure cooker, potentially increases some stress. Let's sprinkle a little bit of, of financial difficulty, just like you know, a little more month than money. That'll increase some family tension, won't it? Let, let's add in having to manage work and the kids' soccer schedule or band. Or like in my family, there's four kids and everybody has their thing and who gets to do what when. You can see how that families, rather than being the shelter for storm, often can be the generator of the storm. But God originally meant for families to be a shelter from the storm. Let me give you another thing that God meant for it to be. And this is where I think we can start shining a lot more light. God meant for families to be the learning center for life. See, God originally put us in a family in part to teach us. God has serious interest in your development as a person. He has serious interest in your development as a person. He has a significant investment in you. And he gives this investment in baby form, full of promise and hope, full of potential, and yet it has to be nurtured and cared for and developed over time. And part of that dynamic, you're in a church, you'd expect me to say this, no surprise. Part of that hope and anticipation God has for us is for spiritual development, that all of us one day would put our faith and trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and let him then become the leader of our life. That's part of God's hope for us on a spiritual development level. But God hopes for us to learn all kinds of things, and to, in that learning, not be like the foolish builder who built on the sand, but in that learning, become like the wise builder who built upon the rock. For instance, here's some of the things that God wants us to learn about in our families. And in fact, this is exactly what it happens. And you can go to modern science today and discover, even apart from God's word, that the truths in God's word about, that we're going to talk about are exactly accurate. I mean, go to your psychologists and sociologists, and they'll tell you that it's in our families we first learn how to do relationships. Some of you are in a marriage today, and it's going fairly well in part because your spouse grew up in a fairly healthy family dynamic. Not perfect, but fairly healthy. And as a result of growing up in that family dynamic that was fairly healthy, they learned how to do relationships generally well, not always conscious, just got in a pattern of doing it, and it's benefited you. And you know the other side of that? For some of you, the challenges you've had in your marriage are the direct result of broken relationship dynamics, unhealthy relationship dynamics that were gleaned in the family of origin. There are counselors scattered, counseling agencies scattered all around this community dealing with exactly that dynamic. Here's another learning that we're supposed to get from our families. Our values, like our sense of right and wrong. Like where do you first learn that telling a lie is wrong? Well, you get that from your family, hopefully. And of course, if you don't get that from your family, 
then that creates all kinds of challenges later on in life. Families become the learning center of our values about honesty, our, our work ethic, how we treat each other, especially when there's a position of power and, and maybe weakness, older sibling, privileged. We, we learn a lot about our value system in families. This is why God puts such a high priority on family because as families go, so goes the community. And it's not a stretch to say as families go, so goes the world in a lot of ways. So God puts us in families to be a shelter from the storm. He puts us in families to be a learning center around things like relationships and values and our character and our faith. One out of every four 20-somethings today in America, one out of, so, so 25% of 20-somethings attend and are active in a local church. One out of four. Most of those that are not, the three out of four, did not grow up in a family that was actively engaged in a regular faith discussion that included things like church and scripture and prayer. So it's no surprise that just one out of four in America today are involved at all in any type of faith community. Because it's in our family dynamic, we watch and see what was important first to our parents, and that has a dramatic impact then on what becomes important to us later on in life. You know all this. I'm just trying to build for you the clear sense that your family is important. And more importantly than just knowing that, we can make choices like the wise or foolish builder, and we can build our families on a rock-solid foundation. And we don't have to be surprised what that foundation is. We don't have to go discover what that foundation is. God's Word gives us the gift of explaining to us what that foundation is like. Now, families are very important. Let me show you one verse from the book of Proverbs, chapter 22, that describes a little bit about this importance and, and the idea of the learning center for families. The Bible says this in Proverbs 22, 6, direct your children onto the right path, and then when they're older, they won't leave it. This talks about the ongoing importance of family. So how do you get then that rock solid foundation so that when the storms of life, your family is intact? And you're intact in the middle of it. Parents, how do you build a rock-solid foundation for your children so that you give them all you hope to give them and they get all that they need so that as they go on into their adult lives, they're prepared, they're ready, they're ready to face. They are wise and not foolish. So here are three godly foundations of a rock-solid family. Now, when I say godly foundations, here's all I mean by that word, godly. I don't mean that it's like only for spiritual people or just for pastors or just people who make church a regular habit in their lives. All the word godly means is people that have a God-oriented heart. In other words, godly foundations that flow from God's mind, God's character, and God's idea. He's the architect of fa family, and when we have godly foundations, we follow the plan that he meant for us to follow. These are the things to begin to think about. Here's our foundation number one. I just want you to consider this. I'm going to invite God, or I will invite God, to be the center of my family. I'll invite God to be the center of my family. When you do that, you are literally constructing a rock-solid foundation in your family. 
Now, that, that sounds strange depending on your spiritual background. I'm going to invite God to be the center of my family. What does that even mean? Well, let's unpack that for just a moment. But first, I want to take you to what has, for me, a very powerful passage of Scripture. Psalm chapter 127, verse 1. It kind of gets to the same point that I used other words to describe. Here's, here's what the Bible says. Unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Now, for our purposes today, I'm not going to like play with the scripture and change its words, but I want to just kind of like unpack that meaning for us for just a second. So let me just rearrange a few things and insert a few things. Unless the Lord builds a family, that word house used in Psalm chapter 127 refers not to a physical building. It literally refers to a household. Unless the Lord builds a household... Unless the Lord builds a family, then the workers are building in vain. It's not going to produce what it needs to produce. So who are the workers in the family? In a lot of ways, we could read it this way. Unless the Lord builds a family, the work of the spouses, in my case, the work of me and Jill, is wasted. It's in vain. It doesn't go as far as it needs to go. So how do we then make the Lord... How do we invite him to be the center of our families? Let me give you a couple practical things you can do. Again, I don't know where you're coming from today. I don't know if your family's doing great or if there are some challenges. But right now, I'm going to give you some ingredients right from God's word. They're not earth-shattering, but they are foundation-building blocks that you and I can engage to build on the rock with our families and not on the sand, all right? So here's the first one. We can pray. You can pray. You can make prayer a part of your family dialogue. Now, this is incredibly difficult to do if you don't already do it. It sounds wonderful. You would expect a pastor to say, pray with your family. Do you, do you remember a few years ago, some of you that are a little older, uh, like, like me maybe, um, you know, I'm 33, and um, don't laugh too loud, I'm 45, all right? So... Um, do you remember the old slogan, the family that prays together stays together? Right, so, so anytime you take something that's profound and deep and you re- reduce it to a couple of, uh, of, of words and it almost becomes like a slogan, it loses its punch, potentially, over time at least. Looks good on a wall, but maybe it's not put into practice. But the truth is, is that prayer in your family can make a dramatic difference in the tone and tenor of how you experience your life together. I shared with our congregation several months ago in a discussion about family, just something that Jill and I began doing as it relates to prayer in our family. What we've discovered is, is that in the middle of difficulty, we both would separate from an argument or a challenging situation with our kids. I did, by the way, just confess that Jill and I on occasion argue, if that surprises you. Um, there are Pastors around here that I'm sure don't argue with their wives, all right? So, but, but this one does on occasion. Um, but anyway, we discovered that we would both go our own ways, and each of us would spend a little time praying. Here, here's something we've discovered. That nothing says the argument is over, the discipline is over, like literally grabbing hands with each other and praying a short prayer. Nothing brings a fresh start like bowing together and saying words like this, God, that wasn't fun. That was difficult. 
there were words spoken that were hurtful and there were difficult things to deal with. But you are a God of grace and second starts and third starts. Would you help us here? Nothing produces a fresh start like holding hands with your kids and saying, God, I know how much you love, in my case, Connor. I know how much you love Connor. And I'm praying right now Connor would know how much you love him and how much I love him. And that no matter what he's going through, I'm here for him. Nothing communicates fresh start like prayer. Now, if prayer hasn't been a part of the family you grew up in, it's incredibly difficult to start that. So it just becomes a basic question. Does God's word around things like prayer and us as followers of Jesus, people of faith, doing prayer with our Heavenly Father, is that something we only go to God for at the really, really big stuff? Or is it meant to be a part of our ongoing discussions? And if it is meant to be a part of our ongoing daily life and yet it's really not, then how are you going to begin it? How are you going to begin that? Here's something I'd suggest. You begin with things like dinner prayer. Just praying over your food. But don't let it just be that. Bring prayer into the middle of conflict. Men, let me just challenge you here. Sometimes our wives are a little more verbal than us. And so for us, it, it, it could be a challenge, but your prayers don't have to be extremely spiritual. I mean, listen, God, help us quit fighting so much about this. Amen. God, help me to watch my volume when we argue. Amen. This is not a prayer that works. God, help my wife not to be such an idiot when we're fighting. That, so that, that's not the kind of thing I'm talking about, all right? Uh, but you, you get where I'm going. So, it, bottom line is you just have to start. Let me give you a couple, couple more, right? Um, we can just, like, read our Bible. So um, my wife has been doing this, in, this incredible thing where she's been, like, reading the Bible. And two or three times a week, I'll just get a little note from her, an email. Just read this. want you to, want you to see what I, what I read and what impacted me today. It's like two sentences long. Read this today, thought about us. Read this today, it made me think about something going on in my life. Read this today, would you pray for me? It, it changes, but all she's doing is she's bringing God's word into our daily discussion. Almost always on Sunday, we'll talk a little bit about the message I bring, because all she's doing in that is she's engaging me in scripture discussion. So with our kids, we have Bible storybooks that we read with them. It's not always about knowing all that it means. It's just about sometimes bringing the Bible into the discussion as a way of raising the value. So we can pray. We can read the Bible. Here's another thing we can do. We can make our faith practice a family event. So like coming to church together, if you don't come to church potentially, serving the community together. These are not complicated. Here, the foundation of every building is the least beautiful, ornamental Um, extravagant part of the entire building. It's ugly. It's rocks and cement, you know, and bonding agent. Maybe some rebar. That's it. There's nothing pretty about it. Nothing all that flamboyant about it. And yet, without the foundation, it's really difficult to build the building and have it withstand the storms. So the Bible talks a lot about these foundations. We can invite God to be in it. Let me tell you uh, one of the most powerful verses for families to remember. Joshua chapter 25, verse 15. 
Joshua was standing before the entire congregation of Israel. We ask me, a million and a half, two million people. And this is the message he begins to speak to them. Now, you have all these options around. You can do whatever you want. You can go do this with your time and energy. You can go do this over here with your life. But he, here's something I want you to consider. He says, I want you to consider today what you're going to do with the Lord. What are you going to do with the spiritual stuff? So then he says, choose today who you're going to serve. And just in case there's anybody wondering, let me make it clear where I am. As for me and my house, he says, we're going to serve the Lord. He makes a bold decision. No matter where we've been up to this point, from this point forward, the Lord is going to be the center of our family. We're going to take responsibility for inviting him in and beginning to put the building blocks, those raw, not ornamental, nothing extravagant, but the foundational building blocks in place. So the first principle of a godly foundation is inviting the Lord to be the middle. Here's the second one. I'm going to make my spouse a top priority after God. I'm going to make my, my spouse a top priority after God. Parents, more than anything, your kids need to see a loving, honest, and transparent, reasonably transparent relationship between you and your spouse. The single greatest gift you can give your kids is not financial stability. It's relational stability that comes from them watching you as man and wife love each other dramatically. It's the single best gift you can give them. It doesn't mean you have to always be perfect and never speak a cross word. It means that even in those moments of tension, know this, they're already watching you. They're already observing how you handle life's storms and the storms that happen inside your own home. And so the Bible's very clear about this. Outside of our relationship with God, the single most important thing, if you've chosen to be married, the single most important thing that you could ever do with your life is make your spouse the priority of your life after God. And so when something's a priority, then of course it gets priority attention, doesn't it? This is incredibly difficult to do. I'm not going to tell you anything you don't know. When Jill and I got married... It was school. I was still in school. She was still in school. A lot of folks said don't do it, but somehow we were able to find time. And that seemed honestly like the easiest part of our marriage. Because after school, it was work. And then grad school and hers and mine together and trying to work. Incredibly difficult. Making each other a priority becomes a foundation stone in your home. You literally are building your home on a solid foundation. Look at what 1 Corinthians chapter 4 says. Now, it's required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. When I talk about husbands and wives, the first thing that your mind goes to is some kind of sexual fidelity in marriage. And of course, that's included, but I'm going much more than that here. I'm talking about just being faithful to nurture the relationship that you said when you stood before God in a congregation was going to be a priority. Here's how I say it to newly married couples, especially when I'm like doing their ceremony. Here's what I say. The very thing that you invested in, the money you spent, the time, and the carving your calendar around each other that brought you to this altar today to get married, the money you spent, the time investment, that is the very kind of investment you're going to have to make if you expect for this relationship to last. It'll change as you age, but that kind of prioritizing each other, you keep dating after you get married. 
So it's perfectly legitimate to have seasons where you're busy. But it has to be a season. And then the spouse has to become number one. More important than your calendar, more important than money, more important than your career, more important than your parents. Your parents, your spouse is more important than. And so if you ever have to choose, the choice should be obvious. Spouse over mom, spouse over dad. And here's the hard one for us in the suburbs. Spouse over my own kids. More than your kids need your attention every Friday night. Your spouse needs your attention with great regularity. And your kids need to see you say no to them and yes to your spouse. That's for men and women. Say no. Let your kids hear you say no and mean it so that you can say yes to your spouse. Look at Mark chapter 11, verse 25. When you're praying, here's the other one about building a priority with your spouse. When you're praying, first forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. All through the Bible, the Bible talks about the power of forgiveness. And you know this about families. Grudges can go deep. They can go deep in marriage. You know each other. You revealed your fullest self. There's great ammunition to do you lots of damage emotionally and Sometimes we leverage that, don't we? And yet God's word says to all of us, you want to have a rock-solid family? You're going to have to get this forgiveness thing down pat, which means you can't keep holding grudges. In one place in the Bible it says this, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. It's better to stay up all night talking and working through it. This is incredibly difficult to do. It's incredibly difficult to do everywhere. You add family on it, it gets harder. And yet, God's word's pretty clear about this. If you want a rock-solid family, it's not rocket science. Put your spouse directly under God and then invest in that relationship and don't let the normal bumps and bruises and sometimes the big bumps and bruises create obstacles that you can't get over. Forgiveness is a powerful tool in building a strong and healthy family. Let me give you the third foundation. I'm going to invite God to be the center of my family. I'm going to make my spouse the top priority after God. And then number three, I'm going to fulfill my responsibility to my children. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, the prophet, in this case Moses, is speaking to the children of Israel about their role in the lives of the next generation. He's talking to parents. And he uses these words. Here's what he says. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to the commands that God has given us, specifically in this case, the Ten Commandments, all right? And then he says, repeat them again and again to your children. Teach your children, invest in them. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Weave this stuff into their lives. So how do you fulfill your responsibility to your children? Well, you nurture them. For some of you, this comes very easily. For others of you, this is difficulty, but it, it often looks like this. You have a lot of conversation with them. You talk a lot. Some kids, that goes well. My son Connor is not very talkative, right? My son John, he'll talk your head off. I've actually thought about replacing his chapstick with a glue stick. I have. <laughs> I've thought about it. He'll just, right? But engaging conversation nurtures. And this is, listen, this is not pop psychology. This is... God's word. Parents, we have a job to nurture our kids emotionally, spiritually, financially, of course. We kind of get that here in North Cincinnati. 
meeting their needs, of course, but their spiritual needs as well. So nurturing our kids becomes a big part of what we're supposed to do. We have to discipline our children. Discipline sounds so hard because it's never a pleasant experience. And the Bible describes discipline this way. The discipline is a gift of love that parents give their kids. When a parent hears a child say no to them, they teach the child how to say no to himself or herself. And how many of you know, without me digging into it, you look around culture, you watch the news, you watch other families, and you realize there's a lot of people that never learn to say no to themselves. It's always yes. And they'll do whatever they can to get whatever they want, whenever they want it. It, we, We could get rid of half the police force if parents just disciplined their kids. And the Bible speaks a lot about how to do that in love. Gently and firmly. And it boils down often to the word no and a respect for authority that goes into that. It's part of our responsibility as parents. Here's the the final thing I want to say to you about fulfilling our responsibility to our children. It's one that I think gets overlooked. It's a simple matter of enjoying our children. God gave us kids to enjoy. In this church, we take this very seriously. Our motto with kids is we partner with parents in what God wants to do in their kids' lives. So parents set the agenda. And as much as parents want faith and spirituality to be central to that family unit, they can bring them here and we're going to teach them about Jesus and God's word in fun and meaningful ways. But at the end of the day, we can't take the place of parents. You're always going to have more time with them than we are. One of our biggest messages to parents is this. Enjoy the kids. Lots of laughter. Family game night goes a long way to keeping the lines of communication open and making a child feel valued and loved. See, here's the truth. Storms are going to come to you and your family. You're not going to be able to escape them. But you can make decisions today, no matter what's happened in the past, you can make decisions today to begin to make sure that you have a solid foundation to weather those storms in. There is no surprise, or there should be no surprise, that Jesus is referred to in the Bible as the rock, that he is ultimately the foundation for all of our lives. And your kids are watching you live out your lives on the priorities that you have. Grandparents, your grandkids are watching. You potentially have a, maybe just under the parents, the strongest, most influential voice in the life of your grandchildren. Aunts and uncles, don't minimize. Don't minimize the power of your voice and your values lived out in the life of younger people. It's incredible. We say to our volunteers around here who are involved in kids' ministry all the time, Your voice in these kids' life, though in terms of time, much less than what they get at home, it can be powerful if you leverage that voice for God's agenda in that kid's life. Now, there's a way to weather storms. You can't avoid them, but you can weather them. So around here, here's what we're doing as a congregation over the next few weeks. We're engaging a book called Unshakable. It's about standing strong when things go wrong, and I'm going to be teaching through the next four or five weeks, several topics of storms that we face. 
And while today I talked about building a foundation to face them, beginning next week we're going to be talking about how to actually manage it when you find yourself being pelted with rain and hail and the wind is blowing in your face. And if you're struggling with anything at all, I want to encourage you to go out in the lobby and pick up a copy of this book. We're going to give it to you for the, basically for the investment we have in it. We're not you know, trying to make any money here. If you can't afford it, come talk to me. We'll give you one free. It, 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 we're just a generous church here. But our point is this, that in Jesus, you literally can have a solid foundation with which to withstand the storms of life. But you're probably going to have to make a few choices. And if there's some sand there that's undermining, we're probably going to have to replace some of that. And at the end of the day, you'll never go wrong making Jesus more the center of your life. So let's do this. Let's take out our Connect card. Let's take a few steps together as a congregation. This is that thing, if you're our guest, that you filled out just before I got up here with your name and email. And we use it as a tool every single week so that you don't just hear some things and kind of nod in agreement or go home and contemplate them, but you actually, if you want to, can begin putting some things in place. All right, so here's the first step for us today. It's next step A. I've been talking a lot about Jesus being the foundation of our lives, but if you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus, maybe you have a tradition, but you don't have an active relationship with him, I want to give you a chance to receive him as your Lord and Savior. Here's what the Bible says about that. That you acknowledge what the Bible de- declares about you and me, that we're sinners, that we need a Savior, that we're not perfect, that we've blown it, there are things we should do we didn't, things we shouldn't do that we did, and we ask Jesus to forgive our sins. He did, he did this for us, by the way, when he gave his life on a cross and was resurrected from the, from the tomb. We ask him to forgive those, and then we ask him to become the leader of our lives. And we let him lead, and we try to follow to the best of our ability. And he begins to work and grow us on that development process I was talking about. So if you want to do that, I ask you to check next step A and put the card in the offering bucket at the end of our service when it comes by. And I'm going to send you an email. You're not joining our church. You're not committing to give money. I'm just going to send you an email. It's going to tell you a little bit about a relationship with Jesus. And in a moment, just a few moments from now, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to use words like this. God, would you forgive me? Would you wash away my sins? Would you cover them by your shed blood? And would you become the Lord of my life? You can use my words. You can use your own to express to God that you want him to be the leader. And in that moment, you literally can change your relationship with Christ. Now, how about next step B today? You want to get baptized. Last week, we baptized eight people on our stage who had made the decision I just talked about in next step A. And then they went public with their faith in front of this community. And we celebrated with them what God had done. If you want to do that or you have questions about it, check the box again. Put it in the offering bucket when it comes by. Or how about next step C? Maybe you don't know all that it means, but when I talked about making God the center of your family or perhaps your future family or your larger family to the best of your ability, you want to do that? Check that. Let us send you just a little encouragement this week in email and join with you in prayer about God being the center of your family. Here's next step D. That you're going to make it a priority to attend all five weeks of the unshakable, standing strong when things go wrong message series. Now, you maybe you can't make every week, but you're going to make it a priority to at least raise the temperature on the God stuff as we talk about very real storms in very honest and bold ways. You're going to hear some stories from real people in this congregation who have faced storms with the Lord and it's made a difference. Or how about next step B? You'd say this, Ben, would you send me some information about the unshakable small groups? 
So if you check that box, as we, in the next couple of weeks, roll out small groups of people getting together, talking about the content of this book, no experts, no teachers, facilitating discussion, all of us going to God's word and to the rock that is Jesus. If you want to know about that, check the box and we'll give you that information. Beginning next week, you can begin to sign up for those. Let's pray about these things right now. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for 10 incredible years around here. I want to thank you for the sacrifice of people that has made it happen. And I want to thank you most of all for your spirit that has worked in us. God, I pray right now that your spirit would work in this room. And where, God, in any of our lives, you're not the center. I pray that your spirit would draw right now and we would make that decision to say yes to Jesus. God, some of us right now are declaring, God, I'm a sinner. Save me. Forgive me. Wash away my sins. I want you to be the leader of my life. God, some of us are just simply reaffirming a decision we've already made, but it's been a while since we really gave it the attention it deserved. God, others of us have some serious work to do in our families. There's a lot of pain and difficulty, and even in talking about it, rather than bringing comfort, it actually raises pain. I pray, God, right now that by your Spirit, you would speak words of healing and hope. And I also pray that you would give us boldness to make the decisions that you've called us to make. I pray for wives in this room right now who need to make their husband a greater priority. I pray for husbands who need to make their wives greater priority. I pray for parents who need to invest in their kids in more intentional ways along spiritual values. I, get, I pray, God, that as we go away from this place, we would walk away knowing that you're the rock and whatever storm we're facing, we can find refuge in you. I pray these things in the name of Jesus, the strong and holy Son of God. Amen. Amen.